0: What a blessing it is for me to be able to bring on our guest today uh, to share his insight with you guys. Um, I learned a ton from this interview, and I know you guys are going to as well. So please uh, take your time listening to this interview. It's, it's so insightful. I mean, we're talking to um, a man who played football at various levels i mean we're talking from the high school to the prep school to the junior college to the division one level and then also had a stint in the nfl as well as a career in the cfl and his perspective which i won't share here i want you to hear it on the interview is so unbelievably unique and interesting and amazing in regards to the nfl and the cfl Uh, something that i honestly didn't think it surprised me and i've been doing this show for seven years and i never thought like i've never heard that before right so i want you guys to also learn and and, uh, you know, enjoy this interview. It's very nostalgic for me. He's a former Boise State football player. It takes me back in time um, during the the glory days of Boise State when they really hit their hockey stick growth phase of their football program. And so I really want you guys to hear from him. He's got such a unique perspective on things. Um, It's cool because he comes from a a family of high-level athletes, uh, both his father and his brother were professional baseball players. And he also has a sister and a mom who were very, very high level athletes in their own regard. So um, super, super cool to hear his perspective today. So please take notes, get ready, because this is the Game Time Guru.
1: So, what time is it? Game Time Boost.
0: This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. We are almost seven years into this bad boy, and I am stoked to say that uh, it continues to grow. So, As you guys heard in the introduction, we're bringing on another amazing guest who has an amazing story, who's going to share some insights with us today. I'm actually like geeking out about this because it's very nostalgic for me to talk to this guy and uh, and we'll get to know him a little bit better. But before we get into the interview and the the nitty gritty stuff, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's tuned in. Um, We're in 182 countries in all 50 states and this, this show started in 2017. It was an idea back in my kitchen. I was trying to record this in my kitchen. In my old house just trying to figure something out i didn't even know how to get this show onto a platform like apple Podcasts or youtube because back then nobody did it and here we are seven years later and it's been downloaded all across the globe um and it's thanks in large part to everyone i always say this it takes a village and it really i really mean that so i appreciate everybody who's ever tuned in any sponsors of the show guests on the show anyone who's left me a review on my podcast platforms thank you so much and uh, we're gonna keep this bad boy rolling so jumping into today's interview like man I just, there's so much nostalgia that comes back. Like I, I was talking to him before, you know, we got recording here and I remember a specific, I was in Brazil two weeks away from, or two and a half weeks away from coming home from my mission. I'd uh, served a church mission for two years and uh the Fiesta Bowl was happening against TCU. And I just remember, you know, an interception happening to seal a game off. And I was just like, man, and. Now I'm talking to the guy on my platform. His name is Winston Venable. We're going to be chatting about his his whole entire experience and what he's up to now. So Winston, just thanks for joining the show, man.
1: Yeah, Shane, man. I appreciate being on here, dude. This is awesome. I'm uh, looking forward to the opportunity to have a conversation, man. Uh, It's going to be great. Day after Thanksgiving, and we're getting after it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, so,
0: okay. Boise State was a big part, so we'll get into that too. But I want to dive a little bit deeper into things a little bit, Winston, because uh, one thing I didn't know is that you had, like, some high-profile athletes in the family. And I didn't actually know that. And I was starting to do some research and stuff. Um, and I'm like, holy crap. I had no idea of a lot of these things. So I kind of want to dive back into that a little bit. So can you explain to the listeners your background when you were a child? Kind of like how the childhood was and, like, uh, the high-profile athletes that maybe you you were around.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so just growing up for me, I mean, I have an older brother, older sister, mom and dad, uh, San Rafael, California, so Bay Area, kind of NorCal areas where I grew up. And yeah, I was very blessed to be born into this kind of sports family. Um, And I would say that like my dad being the leader of that, although my grandpa, you know, he's, you know, he was in his 70s and 80s and still on the softball field in the old men's uh, softball, softball league. so. He's setting the bar pretty high. My grandpa is, but no, my dad played twelve years in the MLB. My brother played nine years in the MLB. Um, they all both have really interesting stories, though. You know, my dad was a a big football player coming out of Sacramento Rancho Cordova High. Those guys won like three undefeated seasons in a row. Big time high school program at the time. Uh, my dad was running back, linebacker. Just tore it up out there, and he had opportunities to go to you know, university to play football and baseball and he was going to do that. But then he ended up getting drafted in the MLB, chose that route. So there goes dad doing the baseball route. And then brother, similar situation, you know, he he's kind of a freak athlete, man, my brother. So he didn't play baseball his in high school, his senior year of high school and didn't play baseball his freshman year of college and was kind of encouraged by my mom to pick up the baseball bat again. So. He's at Princeton University dealing with the, the the challenges of the academics there and being a basketball player and then picks up the baseball bat sophomore year. So now he's a two sport athlete and just does his thing, man, crushes it on on the court and crushes it on the baseball field and does really well academically. So he ended up getting drafted to play baseball his junior year. So just two years after playing college ball, you know, he's getting drafted and He's like, well, hey, I'm here to play baseball or I'm here to play basketball. So I'm going to finish my basketball career out, play baseball. And then if I get drafted again, then maybe he'll go choose the MLB route. So he was kind of like play basketball overseas or going to the MLB, chose the baseball route, which was probably super smart. I should have probably chose the baseball route too, knowing the family dynamic there. But I liked hitting people and not balls. So, you know, that's the route I went. But yeah, man, I grew up in a in a big sports family. My sister was a great athlete, ran track, played basketball. Um, my mom was a swimmer in college. So just kind of got blessed, man, joining this family as a little youngster.
0: Dude, that's so crazy. So, um, man. Okay. So were you like alive when your dad was playing in the MLB or was that before your time?
1: No. So I was just a baby baby. So he, so he, um, I want to say he finished his career after he got done playing in the States. He finished his career in Japan and I was alive then. So it was like early nineties. I was like five years old. The whole family went out to Japan for a couple of years. I went to school in Japan, like elementary school. That was a trip. Um, But I don't really remember any time of him playing in the States. I was born, but he was in the transition from, I can't even remember what team he was playing with, but I was around. Too young to remember, but I do remember when I was, I would think, five or six when we were living in Japan and he was finishing his pro career.
0: Yo, that's wild, man. So like, that's stuff that the average person doesn't like. That's not a, something that we typically get to know. Um, so I was going to ask you, though, growing up, even though your dad was probably done with his playing career when you were old enough to like recognize some stuff, was there any like wisdom he passed on to you, Winston, as a as a younger kid in regards to like what it's going to take to compete at a very high level, the highest level of your
1: sport if you wanted to do so? Um, I mean, I, I, honestly, I mean, I, pops kind of kept some things basic as far as like, like good things happen to people that work hard, you know? So it's like, that was always one of the things and, um, common sense will take you a long ways. And there's just some little things that, you know, you can apply that to a, to a lot of different areas of your life. So not necessarily just sports, um, you know, I'm very grateful for how my parents kind of went about uh, raising us within sports because, you know, you might think, you know, dad was a professional athlete and, um, wants to push his kids, but it was like the complete opposite of that. I think naturally we probably were born naturally liking sports or having the ability to, uh, you know, do well in sports. Um, but he, we never really got pushed in any direction. I mean, I I played soccer, played soccer till I was in eighth grade. Eighth grade was my first year playing football, but, um, you know, more than anything, it was almost like parents didn't want me to play football, even though dad had played. And, um, you know, there was just taking care of their baby and whatever I wanted to do. If I wanted to play piano, I could have been a piano player. If I wanted to be a ballerina, I could have been a ballerina. I mean, the folks didn't really guide me in any direction or push us and just let it naturally develop. So when it comes to like that question, going back on like any sports specific wisdom, knowledge, I mean, I don't think much more than just seeing it, seeing the example of what hard work looks like and then that it can pay off for you, you know? Oh, that's, that's interesting. Very unique too. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. All right, cool. So keeping it
0: basic and, and, you know, just applying that, I actually really respect your parents for that. Uh, that's awesome, man. Um, So you mentioned eighth grade, you were going to, you know, going into football for the first time you played soccer growing up. So you're a yeah. multi-sport athlete though. Uh, and nowadays what I'm seeing Winston is, and especially like, cause I coach in, in club basketball, which is a whole different dynamic than even just high school basketball. Right. we got all the high school kids from various areas, but like nowadays it seems like kids start to like, I guess you could say silo or just like track into one sport at an earlier age. Yeah. And, um, it's different even when like, I mean, we're probably similar in age. I think you're a year or two older than I am. Uh, I was born in 88, but like growing up, it was very common to play multiple sports all through up until about like the second or third year of high school, even it, it seemed like, but nowadays it's start, they start to kind of just pick one and yeah. maybe two. Um, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Having been a multi multi-sport athlete growing up, uh, did you feel like it benefited you?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's a couple of things. Great question. Um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, playing multiple sports for me, it, it was fun. Like I enjoyed playing basketball. I, I enjoyed baseball. I enjoyed football, soccer. Um, I mean, I'm I'm about all sports, right? I mean, there's um, I'm a sports guy, so I I enjoy playing different sports. Now, if a kid these days only enjoys the game of basketball and that's really what he's passionate about, hey man, like go go be a basketball player year round. That's awesome. But if we're playing basketball and we're 12 or 13 or middle school or high school even, and we're playing basketball, basketball only because we're trying to focus on the skills and develop basketball skills because of my goals for the future. Well, then I think that we got to look at it differently. And if you enjoy those other sports, let's not think that tennis, being in a good athletic position in tennis and working on my hand-eye coordination, working on my lateral movement, that that's not going to help me uh, guard somebody in basketball. We're in the same athletic position and we're playing tennis, right? We're going to create those same movements. It's going to translate, right? I mean, basketball is going to help you uh, get in a good athletic position to be sitting there at a linebacker in your linebacker stance and pushing off your feet, right? There's just so many different things uh, being explosive. Um, So there's all these physical things that I think they translate and like, yeah, play multiple sports. Develop the different skills and different movements, but it all translates. And then additionally, you know, learn from different coaches, you know, be involved in other coaches and uh, their discipline and their techniques and their knowledge and absorb it all. So if you're just sticking with like one coach or one sport, you're not branching out all sorts of different knowledge that you can get from different people that can impact your lives from just a mental standpoint or knowledge standpoint. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. I'd say, Hey man, play as many sports as you can, because, uh, if you really break down the movements, you're going to see athletic positions everywhere. And the more you're into that doing different things, better you're going to be.
0: Oh man. All of that is so insightful. I'm going to encourage those who are listening to rewind that and listen to that snip, especially the part. So obviously you got some skill sets you can acquire physically from one sport to another, but you just mentioned like the knowledge you can acquire from. Coaches and other, maybe even other players from different sports, just the mentors under there. They're, that's such a huge piece, I think, gets overlooked all the time. And so that was yeah. that's massive. Yeah, so, it's all
1: it's all different, right? You know, your basketball team's got 12 to 15, your football team's got 50-60. So you're learning how to be a great teammate. Um, but it's a different challenge in a basketball setting than it is a football setting. You know, you're gonna have multiple coaches in football than maybe one or two or three in basketball, or just so many different things that you can look at and peel the onions back on on why it can benefit a a young player um to play multiple sports Ooh, i love that i'm i'm really hoping that the the young
0: athletes that listen to this all across the especially the country but like and the parents listen just take note i know like that's just i just want everybody to be taking notes here um so winston when you were in high school like what when did you decide that like hey i can play football not only at the next level but at the division one level like you know there's like you you knew that you were going to be able to compete at a very high level, but what, at what point did you realize that? Like, did you know that like, Hey, that's my goal. I'm going to football. I'm going to be trying to get recruited at the division one level, that kind of thing.
1: Uh, June. So junior year in high school, uh, when I was in California, I was probably taking sports a little more seriously, understanding that, you know, brother is off to college, sister is off to college now and, you know what am I gonna do? You know, and really when you talk about, you know, kind of the growing up in that family dynamic that I have, there was a little pressure for me, um, knowing yeah. dad, knowing bros now in college, sisters moved on to college. Sister wasn't um playing sports in college, but brother sure was. Sister was doing her thing academically. And to be honest, you know, I was I was not getting in any more trouble than a regular high school kid would be you know at at my age but i was not running around with the right crowd my 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 high school in san rafael was not the best program at the time so i started thinking am i in the right environment am i in the right situation to accomplish a goal like going on to a university and that started to become a reality didn't know what sport football basketball baseball no idea at that point but definitely that i want to go to college and playing sports in college would be cool. So I would say junior year. And that kind of was a determining factor on me going from California to a prep school in Connecticut. So I ended up uh, repeating, I dropped out of my high school in California junior year with this thought that, Hey man, I really want to better myself, put myself in a better environment to reach a university. Um, So I went to a prep school in Connecticut where uh, really got my life turned around and focused on school and football and sports and well, school and sports, uh, I think at that point started to hone in on a little bit more of football thought process for the next level. So junior year of high school, um, with the influence of my brother and sister going to college and me understanding that that's a route that I want to do, um I th- I would say junior year, I started thinking about, hey, these are some let's set some new goals, man, and that's crazy. That's
0: a very unique route. see people who might not he- hear this would probably just think, Oh, the dude played football at the highest level. Probably was a, you know, five-star athlete coming out of high school smooth, but you went a prep school route. Like there's some, there's some changes in there. And I think that's awesome. Oh, yeah. So prep school in and of itself is a whole nother conversation, but like Connecticut from California. Yeah. we're I mean, we're on opposite yeah. sides of the country. Yeah. Um, do you mind sharing maybe some insight on that prep school experience? And like, cause you said you got yourself straight as far as gotten your grades back. You, you got yourself folks yeah. on your priorities. What was prep school like? And cause there's a lot of kids who want to go the prep school route and sometimes it's a great idea and sometimes I don't know if it fits them. So maybe this would be a good opportunity. Yeah.
1: Educate. Yeah. I think you gotta, you ab- absolutely got to do your research. You got to do your homework and first and foremost, like that has to be something that you want to do. I think your family members can help encourage that or, um, yeah, I, I think it's probably rare to be 14, 15, 16, and um, and being mature enough to understand, hey, this isn't the right environment. But I was a pretty goal-driven guy. I had good influence around me. I was I was, you know, brought up from a great family. And I realized at that 16, 17 years old that I was not in the right environment in California. So what do we do? We talk to big bro, big influence, uh, just community, what's going on around us? So there was Sacred Heart at the time in San Francisco is a really good school. Um, De La Salle and Concord was a good school. Uh, but there was just this idea that, you know, I'm still home, I'm still close to home. So my brother had a friend that went the prep school route. And he went to St. Thomas More out in Oakdale, Connecticut. Small school, 200 all boys, suit and tie every day, clean, clean shaven, black socks, uh, study hall, the whole the whole gamut. It wasn't military, but. It was definitely a super disciplined school. So he went there and to was totally successful, turned his life around academically. I mean, he's like a 4.0 student now playing on one of the best, uh, you know, postgraduate teams in the country. So he's doing his thing, ends up getting a scholarship, Loyola Marymount. It was just a great story. So I leaned on my brother's friend, Dustin Brown to really, you know, get some knowledge of what that prep school scene was like. And, I was down. I was down to look into it. I was down to explore, went out on a uh, plane ride with my sister, my mom, and we ended up looking at, you know, Worcester Academy in Massachusetts. We looked at, you know, a couple other prep schools, and we ended up finding ourselves at St. Thomas More, the same school that my brother's friend went to, Dustin Brown. And it was great. It was, you you know, it was a school that was, I would say 70% of the kids were just like me, trying to get their grades right put themselves in a situation to go to college. Another 10% of the kids were there to learn English. Another 10% of the kids were there for disciplinary reasons. And another 10% were trying to go to the Ivy league and just be in a great academic environment. So it was like this school of 200 of us, but hundred plus of us were like all very like-minded people all in the same situation. So I would say that you gotta, you gotta understand it's a sacrifice. If you're going to go to the prep school route, you got to understand there's a, a level of structure and discipline that you're going to be able to create good habits and embrace it. But if you're not there with the right mindset and understanding why you're there, it's probably going to be really hard to be away from mom and dad and girlfriend and be out in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut, just playing sports and going to school. But for me, I was like, hey, I got a vision. I'm trying to go play big time Division One football. And if this is the course that I need to take, then I'll take it. But it had its challenges, Shane. I'll tell you, I mean, we're talking... Uh, study hall and room inspection. And, you know, if you go into the cafeteria and you don't have your black socks or dark socks on, you know, the, the teacher might say, Hey, lift your pants up and you lift them up. And if you have white socks on, you got to go walk back to your dorm and change your socks. You know, Um, if you got a little scrubble on your face, you got to go back to your dorm and and clean up. Right. So it was like the best thing that happened for me. I like created great habits, discipline, I think I left there with like a 3.8 GPA or something and was around a bunch of guys that were just ballers guys going to Villanova for hoops or Yukon for football like wherever but it was a it was a great experience definitely a challenge and yeah like I mean you said if there's any kids out there that need a little knowledge on that experience I can share mine with you dude that's crazy and it's actually really
0: insightful because you don't hear a lot of people that go to prep schools. But I have talked to a couple people now on this show that have gone that route, like even a post-grad route. They've done some of that yeah. stuff. but And it works for some. And I love one of the common denominators there, I guess, is just that you guys mentioned habits. Uh, you build the right habits. But I think you also mentioned some. It's got to be your mindset. You got to go in there with the right mindset for it to be able to work. And you did. Obviously, it worked out for you, which is awesome. Oh, man, that's crazy. is isn't for yeah. everybody, but it worked for you. So, yeah. so, um, the Boise state route now, like when you decided like, Hey, like, okay, we got California, Connecticut, and then
1: Boise, oh, yeah. Idaho. Um, no, we, we gotta, we gotta stop. We gotta, gotta stop you, man. We gotta make a journey to, uh, Glendale, Arizona. So, that's right. Jun- okay. Junior college. Talk to me about it. Well, well and, and that, you know, experience. that was one of those things, right? So I went to prep school in, in hopes to really, you know, earn a scholarship or find myself at a university and the universities that were recruiting me were all in that New England area. Wa- yeah. you know, New York schools, Wagner, Iona, Sacred Heart, um, just some smaller schools. And I didn't see myself there for four years. So I went on these visits and I'm like, you know, the only thing maybe that I would take back is I went from West Coast to East Coast, but really I'm trying to get back somewhere West for college. So yeah, I didn't like the, um, the idea I asked my brother, I was like, Hey man, I'm going to go to Sacred Heart but I'm going to transfer in a couple of years. He's like, yo, yo, you don't go to a university to transfer. Why don't you think about going to a junior college where then you have to transfer? And I said, well, at the time, junior colleges had kind of a bad rap. You know, it's like you're a JUCO guy and not only am I now a JUCO guy, but I'm like eligible, you know, like guys don't go to JUCO if they're eligible to move on and have decent grades and have offers. It's like, why would you go to junior college? So heavily influenced my brother to go junior college route. And I have an uncle that is in Arizona and he um, he had told me about Glendale Community College. had just got done, I think, 2005, winning the national championship for JUCO. And once again, it was a decision. Go to San Francisco City College back home or go to Glendale Community College in Arizona. And going back home wasn't the, the best choice for me. So I ended up going to Glendale Community College. And that was a an awesome experience because I had bunch of friends over at Arizona state. So I'd go hang out with them on the weekends and I would drive, you know, back across the highway and get to Glendale and play football and live out there. And it was, um, it was a part of my life where it was, you know, junior college football, but it was college and we took it seriously. And the, uh, the coaches were awesome. And I had a, a heck of a college experience out in Glendale.
0: And the Juco route is so different for everybody. It's, it's funny. Um, and I think there's like this false perception about like, or I guess just this it's misinformation because we have netflix's last chance you that's been out for like the last eight years now and so people have this idea like every school's like this or every school's like that and it's like well every it's literally different in every state you go to first off like california junior colleges a little different than like kansas junior colleges and mississippi junior colleges it's just different the route that they go um but it's the same as arizona um but you got to live. So here's a fun fact. I, I if I could live anywhere in the world besides voice, I've been in, born and raised in Boise. I wanted to like live somewhere else. If I didn't hate the pricing, I'd live in San Diego, California. Okay. If I didn't oh, hate California's it. pricing and like the, okay, I could live in, in orange County or in San Diego, just Southern California. It's kind of like my little niche. I can get along with those people, but that's yeah. too expensive. If I didn't live there, I would go to Arizona in that Phoenix Glendale area. Arizona is literally one of my favorite places on earth. And maybe that's nostalgic for me too, because the first time I ever went there was for the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma when I went to watch them. That was my freshman oh. year at Boise State, like the first time I went to Boise State. So, anyway, that's like I have a nostalgic thing there, but I go there all the time now. And uh, oh, yeah. I freaking love Arizona, so <laughs>
1: dude, AZ man, I love it too. It's uh, I mean, San Diego, I'll hit you, San Diego for sure. I'm with you on that. Definitely could live down there. And then Arizona, I mean, I think it'd be one of those you know, if you could afford to and be blessed enough to, uh, have a house down there that you just rent out when you don't need to be there, like maybe in the peak summer times. But, um, Hey man, I, I enjoy Arizona, went to junior college there, been going there for spring trainings ever since visiting my brother and, um, still got some friends that live there. So love AZ, man,
0: man, that actually makes, uh, that actually makes your, your, uh, and I don't know if this is, I'm sure it's already been talked about multiple times, but maybe I missed it, but that makes your interception. And, it just makes that whole festival a little bit more special. Anyway, so that's pretty cool. Um, hearing that story. So the yeah. junior college recruiting route. So you go from high school to prep school, prep school to junior college, then junior college. So maybe educate the athletes that might be listening to this. I, a lot of the athletes that I coach, Winston, especially out of Idaho, they do go a junior college route. If they're not gonna nice. go, you know, NAIA or something smaller. If they have aspirations to go somewhere else, a lot of them have to go the junior college route. And that's okay. I tell them like that's totally fine yeah. as long as you take advantage of it. But there is a, you know, you gotta there's a, a strategic way of like recruiting and so forth. So was your coach, were your coaches really good about helping you get out there or were you going to, did you kind of have to do that on your own being proactive
1: on the recruiting front? That is no, definitely got to do both. Right. I think, I think, I don't know if that's really ever stopped, um, you know, with high school kids now, but I would encourage kids to be the most proactive, you know, they can be meaning, you know, even when I was in junior college, I remember, you know, going into the library and emailing anybody I could, you know, from, you know, university of Arizona.com or football department, you know, and just sending an email. I remember doing that and putting together tapes myself. And at this point now we're, you know, when I was in high school, we had some VHSs rolling and then we graduated to the DVDs and burning, you know, burning those and transitioning your VHS to DVD. So it was sending those all out on my own. And honestly, the the experience that i have now from being a, a division 1 coach yeah most of those probably sat in a box you know and just never got looked at at the time or didn't get past the eyes of the intern and that's all right too but i think you have to do those things because you have to give yourself the best shot best foot forward why not because maybe that guy that opens that package up checks it out and gets it to the head coach right away or the linebacker coach whoever so um, you're only doing yourself a disservice if you don't put your best foot forward. So go ahead and do that. But then, yeah, hopefully guys are in a program like I was where, you know, coach Mickey bell was just all about helping us transition and get into the next program into a university. So, um, you know, I think you probably are going to have different coaches and different people that, you know, have uh, connections or are willing to take the time to take care of their kids and help them get recruited. But all, also-
0: There you are. Sorry. It like, oh, you're good. Okay. I knew that was going to happen. I was trying to, I was about to text you. Okay. No, so good. it cut like while you were talking, it was just like froze. I'm like, Oh shoot. Okay. Um, but you did mention like how most people are, you know, you had your coach who was able to, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate. I was fortunate to have a coach that, you know, really took care of the guys. And, um, I know he made it a point to try to set us up with as many universities that we can. And, um, he was always a helping hand there. So I was fortunate. I I would imagine that some coaches don't do that. i think you could probably see it even at the high school level. Um, There's probably some coaches that take more time and dedicate more time to go through the recruiting process, educate their kids, and then obviously help them get in contact with some universities and bring some attention to themselves. But uh, yeah, I think it's, you'd wish that all educators, teachers, coaches do those type of things, but I don't think that's the world we're in. And um, I was just fortunate enough to, to have a coach that did. Now, the interesting thing is Boise state came to recruit me the first year there. And they said that they liked me and then they kind of moved on and whatever. And they didn't have a spot for me because Boise was always about having a, a need basis. If we're going to go junior college route, it has to be a need basis. So the first year coach Huff came and, He's like, Hey, we like you, but we don't have a spot for you. We don't really need you. And okay. So I come back again for a second year of junior college. And sure enough, Boise state comes back again and says, Hey, we created this four-two-five defense. Coach Wilcox needs the tweener, kind of a hybrid safety linebacker. You're exactly the type of guy we need. So what do you think? And I came up on a boy visit and um, you know, the rest is kind of history. I-, I fell in love with the place and kind of made that transition from, junior college to boise state in the spring of 2008
0: that's so cool man did you ever watch boise state prior to that i'm just curious being down in arizona did you happen to watch them play oklahoma or any of that during that time
1: no like being like a football fan i think i've I've, you know you watch it you watch games you watch popular games but i was never really um never really in tune with what boise state had going on right until i started getting recruited and then it was like hey Check out, you know, number 18, Ellis Powers. That's the position that we want you to think about playing. And so now I'm like my second year, I'm starting to watch a little bit more Boise. And, and, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, all the coaches like, yeah, we don't lose. We don't lose. We don't lose. And I'm like, wow, these guys are like 11 and 0. And, And then I watched them play. You know, I think it was tcu in a bowl game or something points the edible and they lose and i'm like man these guys lose they they just lost and they used to tell me they don't lose at all so it was pretty funny um but i no, i en- i enjoyed the recruiting experience and uh no it was great best time of my life up here in boise one of man, the best times that's so cool and, and i'm gonna remind the athletes that are listening just
0: yeah make sure you're being proactive yourselves unfortunately there's not i mean There are a lot of recruiting services out there, people who can give you advice and so forth. But if you're going to get that, make sure you, you know, you do your due diligence trying to help get people. And, you know, not every coach is going to be doing all of that for you. Some coaches are there to just simply coach and they don't really have the knowledge. So you do have to be proactive. Like Winston said, it's got to be a a double edged sword here, but uh, it's not just going to fall in your lap. And that's the biggest thing that I've told a lot of my players in basketball. They've reached out to me after the season. Hey, coach, Um, what do you think about just, should I send this out to this? I'm like, have you not been sending anything out? No. And I'm like, you guys, I've been telling you, you've got to put your stuff together. You got to send this out. I'll give them advice. But then they wait to the last minute and I'm like, guys, it's not just going to fall in your lap. I promise you they're They've got hundreds of thousands of athletes around the country. Uh, they're looking at a lot of people. So, um, just be proactive from the time you start playing. If you really have aspirations to play at the next level. And, uh, I love that. I love, I love hearing that. So Winston, when you got to Boise state from now, like, this is what's interesting is having, sorry, high school experience in California, prep school in Connecticut, junior college, Arizona. And here's, you have a lot of experience at different levels of, of athletics. Yeah. What was the biggest transition for you going from, going to the division one level at a, at a team like Boise state, which that was kind of in their like hockey stick growth phase. Um, when they started really putting things together, I mean, you guys had NFL caliber talent, like it was good. Yeah. So what was the biggest transition for you? Was it hard? Was there anything that was really hard for you coming into Boise state?
1: Yeah, I think just the, uh, the demand, the daily demand, right? The scheduling. Um, junior college, we had a good program. Like we had a, you know, we had a coach that really cared about, you know, having a lifting program and having a, you know, a, a swim routine on our day off. And, you know, we 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 held ourselves to a pretty high standard at Glendale and it was a good program. Uh, but it's just not doesn't match waking up at 5:45, you know, for some winter workouts at Boise, leading into, you know, what summer training looks like. And we worked hard at Glendale, but the level of work, the hours, the commitment um, was definitely like an initial shock. Right. So, I mean, it's, you know, I tell guys, you know, you get this honeymoon phase and you got your new Jersey on you're You're in the stadium that you dreamt about and you're with the boys and it's big time ball and it's honeymoon. It's like great for a couple of days. And then it's like, wow, we wake up at five o'clock to hit five forty-five workouts all through the February. And you're kind of now in like culture shock, like learning what it really takes to be a Bronco and it's a crazy time commitment. So, um, I think that would be the biggest thing, right. was just the time, the schedule, uh, and the demand, um, from a football perspective, it was kind of interesting because, and, you know, to the guys that are out there in junior college and thinking junior college could be a route, like, what junior college did for me was awesome because it allowed me to play two years of college football at the junior college level. Right. But then when I showed up to Boise, I'm competing with some juniors that have not even stepped on a college football field at all. They've redshirted, then they, you know, third or fourth string on the depth chart. So here I am showing up, I got experience under my belt. And just because I haven't been at Boise state, I was well more prepared than some freshmen or sophomores that were already there at the program because of the experience I had at JUCO. So from a football perspective, um, it was about trying to learn the plays and and all that, but I never really felt um, athletically or physically that I was catching up or behind.
0: Ooh, that's that's very interesting, man. You know, you had some great... Co- that, that coaching staff, like the era in which you were at Boise State, there was some amazing... There were some amazing coaches hence why like they've gone on to do things that they're doing now you know or have done uh, since that time i mean a lot of those coaches either head coaches now or i mean they were or whatever they got bigger jobs um do you have uh any like was there a coach that stood out to you during your tenure at boise state that maybe taught you something very important and what would
1: that be Oh man, that's a that's loaded right there. Just I'm because. sure you're
0: like, oh dude, I could go down this list. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, obviously Pete had his his influence on on the, the community um and really touched us players. But um I think there's something about like the way I was the, the cloth that I was built from and and how I developed as a football player. There's a couple you know key pieces and and one of them was my coach at junior college, but you asked me about Boise and, and it was Jeff Choate. And I think it was because uh, to play the game and to play the game that I felt like was the right way to play football or at least the way to be a linebacker was um, you got to let your screws loose and you got to be a little bit passionate and you got to be a little, you know, something a little bit cuckoo going on up top. And like a guy like Jeff Choate really uh, allowed you to embrace that passion and embrace that effort and energy And then just make sure that you go apply it on the football field. So uh, I had really learned about like, you know, letting out aggression and playing the game in an aggressive manner in junior college football, where it was kind of like, Hey, it's okay to do this. It's okay to be like mean out there and, and all those things. And then Jeff Choate was a guy that allowed me to take it to the next level and really learn like, Hey, let the screws loose and let's go hit some people. So uh, yeah, I would say that Jeff Choate to answer your question.
0: Dude. That's so awesome. <laughs> so cool. Now I wanted to ask you this. I wrote down a couple of questions. Like I would like to know this, um, because of, so coach Pete actually, came, so coach Chris Peterson, for those who don't know coach Chris Peterson, former Boise state head football coach. Uh, he also coached at uh, university of Washington. Um, he came and spoke. He was a keynote speaker at our athletic leadership conference in June. It was at Boise state. And, um, I was able to attend that. And I was, I was just blown away. He gave us uh, a lot of great advice as, um, just leaders like coaches, athletic directors, that, that kind of stuff. And one of the things he talked about was how he ran his program and something that he did at Boise state, which was just basically the compound interest effect. Uh, he was talking about how, when he became a head coach and not a coordinator, it was really hard for him to not like he was going into some meetings with coaches, like some like uh, skill position meetings. And they're like, you know, they had everything planned out perfectly for their meetings. And then he'd go into another one and it's kind of lackadaisical. Then they'd take people from the, the room into the field. And he said that some positions were like lackadaisical because it was stemming from their time in the, in the room. And then the other ones were like on point and going. So he's like, we had to stop it immediately and talk about how we needed to be precise in every single detail. Like when it came to the film room and they're talking in the room to then how that transferred onto the field, because if like the running backs are doing it at a certain level, the compounded interest are going to do it right this way. But if the linebackers are doing it this way, they're going to be behind the game because uh, the compound interest effect. So anyway, what I was thinking of based on that conversation, obviously he went into much more detail than that, but um, did you feel like your practices at Boise state, Winston were pretty detail oriented from not only the film room, but the weight room and the, on the field and so forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you hit it. I think there was Pete definitely had a process and Pete definitely um, had a way that he structured things. And and it was, this is how we're going to operate and kind of that formula, right? The process, the formula. So as a player, um for me personally i don't think at the time i really looked at it like hey look at all these details that we're going through i think you just you know it's kind of an old school mentality and i joke around about it now but like you just do what your coach tells you to do which is not something that kids do these days but um so i didn't think too much of it right like i didn't think we're doing anything out of the ordinary i knew i was at a special place i knew coach pete had this aura about him right i knew that we win a lot here um But I think when you step away from that, you learn or even move on and play professional ball, whatever, you start to learn why we were successful and the things that we did. So um, as far as Pete, his process and his detail, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those things that, you know, you learn from a coaching perspective. Like, why is the head guy popping into different position meetings? And, you know, it's not always to to just grill the position coach. It's to catch that vibe, to help the position coach do what you're saying. It's like, hey let's tighten this area up. Let's tighten this area up. Your meetings are a little lackadaisical and we get out on the field for walkthrough and your guys aren't locked in. So as a coach, you know, you can empower your assistants by giving them that feedback. And I think that's probably what Pete did a really good job at was just uh, making sure his coaches were as detailed as he was. And then it just trickled down effect. So compound, but also trickle down, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. It's like infectious, man. That's, that's cool. It's cool to hear from a player who who was kind of there. But I love that you said, "Just do what your coach tells you to do." That how? What a concept, right? You know, like, I don't even know how else to say it. But it's like I wish that we could just take that and then just use that for the podcast. Like, just do what your yeah. coach tells. Well, me it's, do, it's
1: it's that leadership, though, man. It's really. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm pretty strong on that. Where like, if a kid knows you got the best interest for him, man, that's when you can come at him a little bit, or or you know, use some some more some more powerful words or a little more energy towards those conversations, or you can coach him harder if you want to say, because they know you coming from a, a good spot and best interest. Yeah. And I think that's what Pete had with his staff and players. It's like, if he tells you something, you believe in him. You're not thinking twice about changing it or doing what he said, because you know, he's got the best interest. The guys that talk about, talk about guru, uh, coach Chris Peterson right there. So well uh, we were listening Dude, that's so cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know he's got he's got everyone's – that's uh, – coaches take note. Myself, I got to take note. Like, Just make sure you're loving your players. If they know you love them, they'll run through a brick wall. They'll listen to you. They'll do what you ask them to do. Oh, yeah. So when you play at a high level like that, obviously at Boise State, you guys didn't lose a lot. Um, but like I said earlier, it's very nostalgic for me because when I was in Brazil, I had two weeks left of my mission. And one of the biggest things I told my mission president, we weren't allowed to watch like – regular tv we were out there uh doing you know service work for for our church and so uh i begged for like a month after i found out you guys were going to be going so i get sports updates through my emails with my family each week when i knew you guys were playing tcu i begged my mission president to let me like watch that game the problem was the time difference was what was causing the problem like typically Uh. we're supposed to be home by 10 30 but that game didn't start till like 10 our time or even later in Brazil, and uh, I had to watch it on dial-up internet, and at a, someone's house that actually had internet, which was not common where we lived. There's one person that I knew out of like thousands that actually had internet at their house, uh, and I was able to go there. I had to get it approved. It was a big old process just to watch this stupid game. that got over at three o'clock in the morning for us. I like, got after my excitement, we got home, and then I had to be up at six. So that was like the rule. Like you gotta be, no. you still gotta do your work. So anyway, I watched it though, and everyone in the house is asleep. And I was able to watch it and the interception and everything like that's what it's very nostalgic for me. So talk to me about that game, Winston, when you were able to go, you go to Glendale, you're playing a big game like this. Andy Dalton, he's an NFL quarterback still, but like he's, I mean, top prospect back then, you know, you're playing against one of these top offenses uh, and you get a game stealing interception. Talk to us about that game.
1: Yeah, I mean, super cool that you're watching that from from Brazil, man. That's uh, some some straight dedication right there. But um. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it was, it was talking about nostalgic and, and all those type of things. Um, you know, my time at Boise, like I really felt like I was kind of on cloud nine. I had, I had joined this program and we're going on this crazy run and we're top ranked and really like already kind of living my dream. You know um, my dream was never to go to the NFL. My dream was always to play in a big time, big time university, you know, play games in front of a lot of people. And so Coming back to Glendale, that already felt like crazy good, right? I mean, we're back to where I just had left, right? So, we're going back to Glendale. So, that's awesome feeling. Um, still have, you know, still have uh, teammates from Glendale that I know. I have friends from Arizona State that are still in town that I know. So, like that that in itself was awesome. But then uh, really like running out on that field, FedEx Stadium, or not FedEx, um I don't even know what's the I don't even know what their stadium is. FedEx is out there in Washington I think, but Yeah, FedEx either, is in Washington, I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> that was Virginia Tech game. Either way, um we're going out there to the, the Cardinals Cardinal Stadium and you know, it's like 80 something 90,000 and uh there's purple and there's blue and there's orange and it was like I don't have to play any more football after this. My my dreams are accomplished. So, uh to be able to just run out there on that field in that atmosphere, in that environment, I felt like my dream came true. And uh, the game itself was just running around and making plays and, and being a part of like a really cool college football game that happened to end really well for the Broncos and myself personally.
0: <laughs> that game was absolutely wild, by the way. I, it's just crazy to think back on it. Um, it was a dogfight, man. Big big fake punt was a big play of the game. Obviously kind of switched the oh, momentum. Yeah. And I think that was a brilliant play call uh, at the time in which it was done just because, yeah, it was it was a stalemate. And uh, then, yeah, that, the last drive, you still got nerves because you're like, dang, they're kind of moving the ball for a second, then boom, and you got it. Uh, th- okay, I, I always wonder this, for, and now I'm talking to you, like in a moment like that, did you even think about what was happening? Like, oh, what if I drop this? Because it's like, poof, balls in the air, and you're like, it's like an easy catch. You know, like the moment nah, that just slow down to the speed up?
1: No, not really. I mean, I think it was like, hey, balls in the air, go high point it, you know, and I was kind of chunky at the time, but I went up there and, you know, just like in basketball, right? If you're going to go up as high as you can for a layup, you know, one knees up off of one foot and try to try to grab it. And uh, no, I didn't think anything much more than that. Um, Definitely not thinking because after that play, I'm running, you know, running towards our sideline and I tossed the ball over my head. So I'm definitely not thinking of how important that game ball was. And my mom reminded me right after the game, I think, as she's giving me a hug, congratulating me, she's like, why did you throw the ball, you know? And uh, <laughs> so to answer your question, no, man, you're just in the moment. And uh, I don't remember it slowing down or anything like that. And I sure wasn't thinking about too much because I tossed that ball and my mom sure was mad at me.
0: Dude, That's actually hilarious to <laughs> talk about not thinking. Yeah. I love it, man. So you actually mentioned FedEx too. So when I returned home from my mission it was like two weeks after that Fiesta Bowl, I um, the next season was yeah. remarkable. I mean, you got Virginia Tech, Tyra Taylor. You guys absolutely dominated. Uh, well, I mean, it was a close game. But, I mean, the fact that, like, you guys came out there swinging, uh, it showed me at least. Like, I hadn't actually got to watch – I'd never seen Kellen play in person because I was on my mission from 2008 to 2010. So this is my first time getting to see the hype train of Boise State when you uh, guys yeah. were like scrolling. So I'm like, okay, FedEx, we we, we flew out there to DC and it was an amazing game. Um, the whole season, I mean, I was a season ticket holder. Amazing. Every game, just amazing. And then we get to, which is now, it's funny how we're recording this on Black Friday. It was Black Friday, 13 years ago, the game against Nevada. I mean, we drove out to oh. Reno to go catch it. I'm actually on yikes camera if you guys ever watched the so and kyle brosman is one of my best friends from high school just an fyi so i've had kyle on the show talking about his experience so i can say this but like after his missed field goal we were standing there with our like we're the ones that espn panned to there's three of us i have an ohio state beanie on oh. with my state <laughs> and my friends got a brosman jersey and my other friends just standing there and we're like this and uh oh, man the reason for that is because we told the camera to to get on us, so because we were gonna storm the field, and I had a lot of things I was gonna say to the fans that kept trying to get in a fight with us the entire time too. So I was like I was gonna go nuts, jump the fence, and like anyway. So then when they get us on camera, because yeah, the, the field goal go happens. But that game, Winston, I, we talk about the high points of your career, like right, we, we get a Fiesta Bowl victory, and then you yeah. guys are arguably like you know you're in the top four of the country, like you know there's discussion about national championship potential, but obviously a a, a BCS bowl at that point or whatever you want to call it. So I mean you would have been at the Rose bowl at least. And, you know, losing a heartbreaking fashion like that. But I remember something from that game. And I remember the defense because Colin was doing his thing. They seemed to be running like three plays. It was like three, the same three plays every time. And it was like, it was just so hard to stop them. And I remember seeing a lot of you guys on like the defensive guys with their hands on the hips at one point, just it was cold as balls outside. And everyone's like steam was blowing off and like, you're breathing heavy. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, dude. Like they're, they're tired, man. <laughs> so <laughs> I know it sucks talking about it, but from a player's oh, all perspective, good, man. what was that game like? Cause you have the highs and lows of your career, but that was a very competitive, very fun game to be a part of. I'm sure it just sucked to lose. Cause somebody has to lose, but yeah, it's a great game to be a part of.
1: <laughs> yeah, no it, no, it definitely was. Um, and I don't know, good for us or not or whatever. I mean, it is, it is what it is. That's what happened that year. But, um, I was personally, I was kind of like, I don't know, not caught up. Like, uh, once again, going back to kind of believing in your coach and what your coach is talking about. And me personally, like I've accomplished my dreams. I'm at a big university. I play in front of thousands of fans. Like, I was kind of soaking up, like everything Coach Pete was talking about. I was bought in, right? Like, I was, I was bought into the message. I was bought into everything. And one of those messages was like that we don't get caught up in the rankings and we're not looking at the bowl games and all that. And I think either I didn't really understand college football that well and the magnitude of bowl games and Rose Bowls. And I mean, I don't know. I grew up in California. I'm a college football fan. So like I did, but I more or less think I was just in the moment and I was a believer in Pete and Pete said, don't worry about that stuff. So I didn't even really think about the significance of what we were doing. We're just doing what we do. I've been here for a little over a year now. We don't lose football games; we just win. So uh, things are stacked up against us. Even when we win, we don't go to like the best game because people don't think we play in a good conference. Like whatever. So we just win. That's all we do. So losing that game, I didn't really get what we lost. You know, there's the Rose Bowl or a national championship. I don't really think I was caught up in the noise. And um, and I also. I had been just coming out of junior college, first year of junior college. We were like six and four. Second year, we we're eight and two. Um, I've lost plenty of games in my life, but now I'm in this group of men, group of dudes that have not lost any games, basically. And um, their reaction to losing was probably a little bit different than mine. I was caught up in the, I was caught up in the. Don't worry about the standings. And then I also have done plenty of losing, so when we lost, it was kind of like, hey, fellas, like. We'll be all right. Pick our heads up. Like, let's move on, you know, when a lot of guys, they never even knew that feeling. Right. So that's kind of that 53 and four or 50 and four, whatever the record is that kind of Kellen and some of those, some of my teammates went through. Well, I've been doing plenty of losing. So um, it was significant. Uh, but I, at the time, I didn't know how significant it was. You know, we took it, we took a loss. It was tough. We didn't make any halftime adjustments. We were, we were doing well in the first half. No halftime adjustments. Locker room was great at halftime. Came out second half. They hit those couple plays on us. We didn't in game adjust, and and they and they took it to us, man. I mean, bottom line, so, I mean, no, it sure. was for it sure. was a tough one. Much respect to a much improved Colin Kaepernick finishing his senior night the right way. And um, yeah, I mean, what a story for them, right? I mean, they they go out there and beat the Broncos on their senior night in their turf. So. Uh, it's not like super crazy for me to think that that was not meant to be, but it was, uh, yeah, wild story for sure. And and then it comes down to kicks and all that. And I mean, yeah, it's wild.
0: You're a better man than me. That's all I got to say, dude. Like we're sitting at halftime in the stands. I'm freezing my balls off. It's so cold, but I was, I, I do not, uh, like Nevada fans. I'll just tell you that. And so back then I used to get a little mouthy. Oh, yeah. And there was one that kept ringing his cowbell right behind us in our ear. And so at halftime, though, we had been chirping the whole first half. And I think it was 24-7 or something. It was like you guys were wrecking him. He yeah. straight up was like super cool. He's like, man, this you guys are literally the best team I have ever seen play football. And I was like, oh, cool. He's nice. Second half, you know, momentum shifts a little bit. And then he was no <laughs> longer nice. He's chirping. So, like, I, I mean, he's ringing his cowbell. I'm knocking it out of his hand. I'm like, dude, I will literally – end up in prison by the end of the night if this guy doesn't stop and so when we were about to win that game i had everything in the book i was about to say to him and then i was going to storm the field and i wouldn't see him ever again and then it just didn't go that way so i was like the walk back to the man i just Uh, man uh, that's a brutal night but it's all i'm sure it was i mean for you you already experienced it for me i was like i as a fan why am i getting so invested in that it actually changed my life winston what's funny about that is we all talk about it as fans i'm like dude i was so wrapped up in the emotions of football that I wasn't even competing in at that level. Like I was just a fan and I'm like, why yeah. was I, my life, I made little changes to my life after that. So yeah, <laughs> I was like, dude, I, that affected me too much. I was like, this is ridiculous. So, yeah, it uh, was
1: tough, man. It was a tough one, but it
0: was all dude, good. I, I love your attitude towards it, though. I love your attitude. So as we, as we get towards the end of the, the interview here, I wanted to talk about your professional experience. So you've had a unique journey through football. Uh, you obviously got to, experienced the nfl before the cfl um yeah. the nfl i mean i want to know like i asked you to transition to boise state like it's funny knowing your personality now after the last 50 minutes of talking to you you kind of have this like you're in the moment you just do what you're doing and you just kind of it doesn't seem like you're very uh phased by like the magnitude of what's going on like where you're at and whatnot so mm. was there any kind of transition to the nfl that like hit you like whoa like this yeah is different?
1: There, yeah there you go maybe that was yeah maybe that uh not phase is all led up into getting just slapped in the face in the, in the NFL. Um, now, so I came out the year of the lockout. Um, so that was the first challenge of me transitioning from college to the NFL was uh, the unknown, right? So it was months and months of um, lockout and they're doing player negotiations, you know, the NFL PA and owners and all that jive and all that. And then all of a sudden the NFL draft happens. So, if you got in the lockout still on, but there's going to, they're going to proceed with the draft. So the draft happens. And if you got drafted, awesome. You know where you're going. And you could, you could show up in that city and you could do workouts with, you know, vets and you could kind of at least know mentally where you're going whenever this lockout is lifted, but you could prepare and you could move and, and get kind of settled in uh for the time being. They weren't, Signing undrafted guys uh, until, well, no, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think about my route. Either way, I didn't have clarity on where I was going. So undrafted undrafted free agent, signed with the Bears. Um, so there was a little bit of the unknown from the lockout, signed with the Bears. And for me, biggest challenge was uh, learning the playbook. I mean, we're talking about going from Boise State where – Um, I was kind of kept in like a little bit of a box. I blitzed a lot at Boise State. So um, if I'm not blitzing, I'm in some type of zone coverage, and it's pretty easy, pretty basic to uh, get my head wrapped around my assignments. Coming from junior college to Boise, learned that uh, not crazy learning process. They kind of kept things simple for me at Boise. Well, now I go to Chicago, and I'm playing linebacker safety in college, and then now I'm playing strictly safety, trying to be a safety. And that created its own challenges where, you know, people talk about the Levy Smith cover two, cover two defense. Well, yeah, that's pretty easy, but what's not easy is comprehending this thick playbook. That's got all these adjustments and all this different stuff going on and me not being familiar with the safety position. Now I'm trying to be a safety. So, um, super challenged in the sense of my football intelligence, right. And just learning the game, learning the plays, um, never did I have a worry about my physical and athletic ability, right? So I would step on that football field. And like, if I knew what I was doing, all good, I'm going to do it with physicality and a mentality that, you know, matches anybody out here, or if not more, but sometimes I didn't know what I was doing. And then that creates hesitation, lack of confidence, um, stress, anxiety, all those type of things. So, I was really like went through a process in the NFL where, um, you know, mentally I got worn out. Uh, I got major anxiety, major stress trying to learn. I wasn't sleeping well. Uh, I I've told this story before to some people just, you know, I'm in training camp with the Chicago bears and I'm finally finding myself go to sleep around like 3.00 AM, 4.00 AM. You know, it's like, my mind is just racing. I've tried to study the playbook. I'm not learning it well. I got questions. I'm not getting them answered. I'm I'm stressing about practice tomorrow, if I know what I'm doing out there or not. So I'm not sleeping. Mind's racing. Finally, find myself go to sleep around 3, 4 o'clock. Well, an hour later, knock, knock, knock. Venable, drug test. You know, it's the drug testing coordinator. He tells me I have a drug test. And I just start falling, crying, man, because I just found myself going to sleep. You know, and I'm out there at a training camp with the Chicago bears and I'm not sleeping the night before, but now I'm out there trying to perform. So like I got through it, I got some help to get through it. Um, but I was stressed out in the league. I mean, this is one of those deals as an undrafted free agent. You know, if you miss your block on kickoff return, you're not really getting threatened by being fired, but you're seeing other guys that get let go because of them, you know, not performing to the standard. And that standard is high, man. So, um, all of that, just the the idea of this is now a job and not just fun, all started coming down on me. And I had so much fun in high school and college, junior college, Boise, that it became a different game and it became super stressful. And I probably till like week 10 of the season, I kind of settled down and I said, dude, you're 24, you have a really good football, you have a really good job. Uh, you've made it this long, like they like you, you're here. So that confidence started building up, you know, and I could carry myself a little bit better and I was less stressed. Um, So that was my NFL experience, got cut going into my second year. Um, And then it ended up landing up in Canada. And that was like back to the feeling of college Uh, camaraderie with the guys, all the egos, man. We used to say, you know, your ego gets checked at the border, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of good Canadian football players. Like there's dudes up there that you're like, Oh, you were better than like half the the DB room in Chicago, you know. Like there's guys in Canada that like could easily make rosters in the NFL, and there's dudes in the NFL that could not go up to Canada and make a roster there. I mean, it's like it's a unique league. It takes a unique skill set. And um, the camaraderie was great. Everybody's salaries were somewhat similar. So compared to like the NFL, where you know, guys are driving in new cars into work every day of the week, well. Canada, man, Montreal, we were all riding the train into work. You know, there's a couple of guys that even drove, right? So that ego, um, the mentality, all of that stuff was like uh, camaraderie with the guys. I mean, it was just so much better. Uh, I really enjoyed the CFL and found my niche up there and played a lot of snaps on defense and had a lot of fun with the boys. And it was very much so a similar feeling to college. And if I was going to compare NFL, I mean, uh, I appreciated my time in the NFL, but loved my time in the CFL.
0: That is so awesome, dude! I'm like sitting here, like never have I heard that before. Um, I've never asked anybody that before, and it's such. I'm sure there's so many people who have similar feelings to what you just shared right there about like their NFL experience, because not everyone's the top dog, right? You got a lot of undrafted players that have anxiety and they have to battle through all that oh, yeah. stuff. Man, like that's that's such a unique perspective, and that's what I want people. To know so I, I appreciate you sharing that and then the whole oh, yeah. camaraderie of the cfl man that's so dope it's funny because i i talked to a guy who played in the cfl um and he said you know like a lot of them want to make it down south he called it down south like which is like you know down yeah. south here in the u.s and play in the nfl eventually but he said that's mainly monetary like it's a monetary goal right like they want to make yeah. money but um he also talked about how i mean he's like we know what it is up here we we enjoy it we don't know any different it's kind of what he was explaining for them that are like yeah up there so for them that's kind of a way of life and yeah it might not be as much money as you could make in the nfl because the things are different but it's everything you just said right there just lines up to what i've been told so i think that's so cool man yeah no uh, i
1: think i mean a lot of these guys dude like when i was up there you start realizing well first thing you realize is whoa that guy had played in the NFL for five years or, oh, that guy played three years in the NFL or damn, that guy's a seven year NFL vet. But now they're up here. I mean, guys are 25, 26, 27 have played in the NFL for several years, but their expiration date is not 27 years old. They're like, I'm still playing, but the NFL is done with them. So it's like, where do you go? You go up North. So that's the first thing you realize, like the competition level and like the roster you're like, Oh, you know, Kyrie Sabera, like that guy was the special teams captain for the Cincinnati Bengals for years. And he played like six years in the league. And now he's on his sixth year in Canada, 12 year professional football player like this yeah. dude is legit. So I think that's one thing. But then I I had a lot of teammates that they were like, they don't want to go back to the NFL or they don't. Their their goal is to be the guy in the CFL because the job security was great. You can miss a block and not get fired you were making some decent money and you'd get six months off during the off season. So it's like to this thing, if you can make some decent money in the CFL, you have a really good job and really good setup. So a lot of guys that I knew, it was like, you get comfortable with where you're at with that job security. And you're playing pro ball. It's on TV, 30,000 fans at every game. It's like, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take the chance to go back for the NFL. I got a good job right here and I'm happy with it. So, um there's a lot of that vibe too, you know. Heck yeah, man. That is so insightful,
0: bro. That's so cool. Um and Winston yeah. as we as we wrap it up here, I, I just had one other question as you transitioned to coaching. Uh coaching has been yeah. a big part of your your post-playing career, I should say, and I wanted to ask about that. Like I as a coach at a lower level, obviously I'm a club basketball coach, but I've noticed I I've, I've I've discussed on this show my struggles and the good things too, like things I've been able to take away from my playing career that I can yeah. still but like also the struggle that I've dealt with is as a coach um, one of them is like lack, lack of control over situations you know you can't tell you can you can educate people on what to do but sometimes you know the execution yeah. comes up to them and, and and that's hard because then the ownership falls on the coach so it's like it's this cycle of like you tell them what to do and if they don't execute how you said it well you still take the blame for it not happening so you have to find a way to like just encourage oh, them to like continue to do oh, it yeah. so
1: <laughs> yeah there's a there's a lot of pre- there's a that's a lot of pressure you know and whether you're coaching at whatever level, but you know, at the division one football level, that pressure, right. Comes back on you from the head man and you got to get your position right. And you're feeling like, you know, you're challenged by, you know, how you're getting those guys to do what they need to do. And everybody's different. You know, you got different type of learners out there, right? So is my meeting really connecting with this group or do I need to bring this kid to the side to get him to do it the way I need? So coaching is challenging for sure. Um, I always felt really good about like kind of going back to that leadership stuff where um, like there's so much more you can do besides the X's and O's to build that trust and build that belief and then motivate your guys. But it's all about that relationship and being authentic and real. And then at that point, like you can work on your weaknesses. You're always going to give them your strengths and your experience and all that knowledge that you have and, all your wisdom and however you develop that that's up to you but you know there's going to be some weaknesses that you work on too and it's like hey man if you're up front and open and honest and um you you know the kids know where you're at in your life and you're just like hey man i'm here to help you and i'm still growing and learning too then man when you go into that position room you got a cool little bond going on and a and a and a safe space of trust and growth and learning you know um so that was one of those things i always did as a coach just I wanted to make sure that those guys felt very comfortable where they can ask a question and not feel like dumb about it because, Hey, like this is, this is the exact opposite of what we're trying to create. Because if this guy's feeling hesitant, then he's not going to grow and learn. And we're going to have to have that conversation on the outside, but how, how do I know that he's going to come and talk to me? You know? So there's just, you got to try to reach all these kids and it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, but, um, Coaching is so rewarding, right? When you when you get them to uh, get on the same page or you've been working on something all week and then you see it happen on a Saturday, it's like, dang, that's pretty cool, man. So
0: sick, dude. And then all that stuff is so true, but it's cool. I, I want the coaches to take note of what you just said. You got to build that camaraderie with the players. Make sure they're comfortable around you so that if you have to have those conversations, they'll listen to you. They'll show up and they'll tell you. Because, um, yep. yeah, the biggest thing as a player – is to be like untethered from your mind, right? You do repetition, repetition, repetition. But when you get into the game, you want to be untethered so you don't have to hesitate. You want (laughs) to be so well-prepared. But it's like you got to get them to that point. And as a coach, you got to know how to like – you know when a kid is hesitating. You know when a kid is not untethered. And so they're thinking too much. And so you just got to find ways and you got to know every player and their personality. So it's important. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So I'll go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's. I think coaches can get it – I think coaches can get in the way of that, right? Where we we have so much we want to give and so much info and um, so many techniques and all that. But you just said it, man. And I've, I've, I've had coaches that have said it too, where we don't want you thinking out there. All right. Well, if you don't want me thinking out there, then I'm just going to stick to my little 20 square feet of what I need to know and do. Um, and I took some of that literal, right? Like coach coaches like, we don't want you thinking. Okay. Well, then I'm not worried what like Brandon Thompson and Jerron Johnson are doing way over there. I, I want to know and be dialed in on what where I am, Winterswikes doing, and maybe George I. behind me. Otherwise, I'm thinking about too much stuff. And it's like, so the importance of me going up on a whiteboard and drawing what Brandon Thompson, yes, conceptual learning. I get it. I get it, man. But you have to baby step that process, right? Like, I probably learned more about football when I was in Canada than my whole life because at that moment I was, I had the ability and capacity to learn it to another degree. But coaches want to just pile it on, pile it on and clutter the mind. And we talk about it all the time. We don't want you thinking, well, let's cut some of this coaching out, you know? <laughs>
0: I no, love I get, it. Man. I,
1: I get fired up about that. My bad, man. I'm rambling. I just get fired up on some of the, uh, it's you perfect. know, those, those coachisms where it's like, yeah, we got to look at ourselves in the mirror, dude, because this is information overload right now, you know? And I think we, we, we get really smart on the board and playbooks and dissecting things, but it's like, how much can that player actually handle?
0: Oh, dude, no. And you're spot on. I mean, even if, if you took it into a business setting in the, the real world, right? They call it paralysis by analysis. Like the yeah. people start thinking way too much and they don't do anything. They they don't act upon anything. So if you give them like a million tasks, they don't do any of them. And yeah. you, you know, you, you don't want to give them too much information overload. It causes them to, to hesitate. I love that. I'm going to probably yeah. snip that out. That's probably going to be a social media clip. There you there go. We, so there, there we go, man. That. So last question for you, Winston. Um, what's the biggest life lesson that football has taught you?
1: Oh wow. Biggest life lesson that football has taught me. Wow. That's huge, man. Um The biggest life lesson that football has taught me is a very loaded question that I don't know if I've ever really gotten asked that or been on the spot like that before. Um But I man, I think I think it's you know, probably has to do with like the way you treat people and the relationships that you build. Um, Like football has taught me that, you know, like you're just you have an arena of like 150 plus people, staff or coaches. And, um, you know, like there's just relationships that I've built through the game that. I could not talk to a teammate for 10 years and we could pick that thing back off. And I just think football can really shed light on the uh, the power of the relationships you build. When you're in a sport like football, you build really unique relationships that can uh, carry with you for life. Something like that, man. That's that's
0: That would be how I'd answer it. No, I love it, man. That's, that's perfect. I just want to say, thank you, man. This has been a very awesome uh, time to converse with you and just get to know you better. So for, for all the listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed this as well. Make sure to leave us a review and, and share what you learned from Winston here. And yeah, like I said, I, I just appreciate you taking the time Winston to, to chat with me on my podcast and hopefully we can communicate in the future too about other yeah, stuff absolutely, too. And collaborate, absolutely, man.
1: man. No, I love it, yeah. man. Appreciate the, uh, appreciate the opportunity. Love the platform. Uh, just given the opportunity to give back, man. I'm all about it. So I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, absolutely, brother. For all those who are
0: listening, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast because we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.